May I invite your attention to the sixth chapter of the gospel according to John. You follow as I read, beginning at verse 60. John chapter 6. I'll read through the end of the, the, the paragraph. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. There is a similarity between this morning's text and last week's text. You may remember out of Matthew 16. Um, the similarity is that both of those stories contain a confessional statement on the part of Peter. Um, over in Matthew 16 that we looked at last week, he, uh, he has this ringing endorsement of Jesus' messiahship. But here, <laughs> this is no ringing endorsement. This is more like a, um, it's more like a statement of loyal despair. Up to this moment, uh, Jesus had been primarily well received. In fact, you'll notice in John 6, I didn't read this part, but earlier in John 6, in verse 15, after he had fed this crowd, this crowd rushed him and wanted to make him, wanted to force him to be the king, the king of bread. Jesus saw that as a threat, and so he has to do something about that. He has to get it stopped. He has to, um, as F.B. Meyer once said, he has to undeceive them. So how does he do that? How does Jesus undeceive them? Well, it appears that what he chose to do is to speak to them some very hard truths. For instance, um, again, I didn't read this one, but in, in verse 44, he says... Uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
But but look at this one. By the way, that that is, gets repeated in verse 65. But look at this one, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Well, that does the trick, apparently. Because in the face of these scandalous, bloody, sickening words, we're told, we're told in verse 66, that um, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They've had enough. They've come to the place where they said, enough's enough. They um, they will, were no longer willing to to bear this burden of scandal, even if it meant missing out on the bread distribution. So they left. And in the Gospel of John, ladies and gentlemen, this is as bad as it gets. This is as low a point as it until the cross. They left. And so Jesus, seeing them leave, seeing them desert. Seeing them defect, turns to the twelve and asks a question, like he did in Matthew 16. And the question he asks, you want to leave too? Do you want to go away too? With this, this enormous pathos. You want to go? You want to go too? And guess who answers? (laughs) Oh, it's our old buddy Peter. He answers. But this time there's no ringing endorsement. Um, In fact, what he says now is spoken through somewhat clenched teeth. Because Peter faces a dilemma. The dilemma is, yes, this is hard. This is scandalous stuff. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. But what other options do we have? Where else will I go? And so... um, Knowing that he is impaled on the horns of this dilemma, he um, he makes this wonderful statement about only you, Jesus. Only you have the words of life. You know, you wonder if there had been another option, would he have taken it? If there had been another good option, uh, would 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 the would the rest of the uh, the twelve left? Would they have all gone? Who knows? But guys. Um, Here's the point that I, I want you to see, because that's what we're trying to do with this little series, is that uh, in each of us, as, as God continues this construction project that he's carrying on in us, this, this building us into the, to the image of Jesus Christ, each of us is going to come to a similar moment that is being described here in, in John chapter 6. There will be a time, there will come a time in your whole walk with Jesus Christ that you will see him You will see Jesus in an unexpected light. 
And what I mean by that is that he will, you will, there will come a point in, in your Christian experience where he will not meet your expectations. That he will surprise you with some kind of turn that won't exactly please you. And at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to say something like these guys said. You're going to say something like, um, this is hard. This following Jesus stuff is hard. And at that moment, you will have an option to do one of two things. You can leave with the rest. Because really, enough is enough. Or, you can with the last shred of faith you can muster, hold on to Jesus Christ and stay. You know, guys... Peter is right. There's no other place for us to go. Only, only Jesus has words of life. And at that moment, I'm suggesting that real discipleship will begin for all of us. You know, I lead a grace group, and you know, you've really got to feel sorry for the people in my grace group. Um, <laughs> Bless their souls. Um, I, I, I'm not. I'm no good at, at Grace Group. I, I'm. You know, I, I don't do it well. And um, I told them that uh, when they got into my Grace Group. I told them. Now they've been in there about seven months, and now they realize that I told them the truth. That um, I don't do Grace Group. You know, I'm used to having a podium. You know, and and this is supposed to be a small group experience. You know, you're supposed to have people interchanging and dialoguing and you know doing all that business. And and I don't do it well. Um, but one brave soul in my grace group, the last time we met, it's the first of this month, one brave soul, a woman, uh, did, you know, risk her life and limb and, um, and shared a story. And the story was something like this. You know, the details aren't, they're important, but I don't have all the details, but it went something like this. That years ago in their life, she was she's married, of course, she was married to this guy that's in our grace group. And, and um, she said, years ago, my husband opened his own business. And we were blowing and going. We were making money hand over fist. I mean, things were really going good. <laughs> and we went out and bought us a big home in Germantown. You know, like you're supposed to do. And, um, and not only that, my husband... Um, my husband bought me a car, kind of as a gift, you know, <laughs> bought us, bought me a car, the color of which matched the color of our home, our new home. Isn't that special? So, um, I, I want to say it was convertible, but I, I think I'm, I'm adding that. But, uh, you know, a, a home that was the color of their new house. Precious. And then, and then the competitor moved in down the street. One of those big box people, people, you know, national chain. And things began to unravel. Before it was all over, we had lost everything. 
Lost everything. And she said, I came to the point where I finally said, I finally asked myself, do I believe in God or not? I am suggesting, my brother and sister in Christ, that in all of us, there is going to be a time, a set of circumstances orchestrated by the Heavenly Father where He is not going to meet your expectations. He's going to do things that seem to be against the book. And you're going to face um, a crisis. And in John chapter 6, the crisis is uh, really contained in the question. Do you want to go away too? Do you want to leave? Do I believe in God or not? (laughs) Guys, this story in John 6 faces us with a couple of things. One of them, a very unsightly reality. It's a, it's a very unseemly subject, folks. And that being, that subject being, is that there, there are people who once walked with Jesus Christ who no longer do. And on this occasion, in John 6, the one that I read you, The thing that sent them packing was truth. Truth always divides, folks. It always separates. It always separates the real from the phony. And and, and the one who taught it in this particular instance is not offensive. Now, there are people who are offensive in their teaching uh, that we all know and love. Uh, I mean, who could blame anybody for ever leaving Gracie Van when the preacher's so obnoxious? But that's not true here. That's not true of Jesus. There's, there's a couple of three lessons, guys, that I, wanna, I want you to see in this story, and then we'll be done. The, the first is this. Wherever truth is taught, wherever truth is proclaimed, you are going to find that many, many, look at the text, guys. It says many in verse 66. Many are going to leave it. Why do they go? Because really, if they've got good reasons for going, then you and I ought to join them. If, they, if, if they're right, then for heaven's sakes, let's, let's follow their lead. But, but it, it, it's certainly not because he's offensive, personally, like others of us. Again, guys, the reason that they leave is the truth. The thing that drove them out was truth. It's the nature of truth that Jesus is, is, uh, is teaching. A particular brand, a particular kind of truth. Guys, when it, when it comes to religion, when it comes to discussions of religion or, or conversations about religion, if you talk to people about a to-do list, if you talk to them about morality, if you talk to them about how they can somehow check off their, their the, the list, They'll take notes. People love lists. 
They love to be told, okay, well, do this and do this and do this, this, this and this, and all will be fine with your soul. If you tell them that there is a, that there's some sense of accomplishment that they can get, if there's some pride of their, 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 their doings, <clears throat> then they'll listen. Because they, they, they long to believe that there's, that there's something about their performance that sets them apart from the rest. People want to believe that they earned it, that I contribute. If you talk to them like that, they'll stay. If you talk to them about man's goodness and what a, uh, all the humanistic uh, notions of our age, if you tell them all about that, they'll put your picture in the paper. They'll, they'll give you a man of the year awards. If you speak to them like this, the crowd doesn't like that because the truth doesn't like the crowd. The, um, the truth says very politely but very pointedly, if this shoe fits, then put it on. It says, it says your sin has ruined you. And you need a savior. It says your sin means that you can't earn anything and you've got to give up this self-salvation project that you've, that you've designed. And the crowd doesn't like that. It prefers a broader road. And because they prefer, because the crowd prefers a broader road, they leave. And I want you to notice this about this text, ladies and gentlemen, because this is stunning to me. Amazingly. Jesus doesn't try to stop them. He doesn't run after them and say, oh, wait, 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 wait. You, you misunderstood me. I mean, let's compromise. Let's let's talk through this thing. Let's let's think about this. I'm sure we can work all this out. No, no. They leave. And Jesus makes no attempt to get them to stay. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, truth does not change to accommodate me. I must change to accommodate it. But uh, folks, without a doubt... Wherever this truth is, is preached, there's going to be many who are going to leave it. They're going to find something broader. The, the second lesson that I want you to see here, guys, is that whenever this happens, the, the, whenever, whenever people who we thought were in leave, I'm not talking about church membership. I'm just talking about the, the Christian faith. Whenever, whenever people who we thought really would, did buy into this Jesus thing and they, and they walk away from them, that shocks us. That shakes the Christian church. It shakes Christians to the core of their, their being. It shouldn't, but it does. It shouldn't surprise us because Jesus warned us that it was going to happen. 
Guys, he warns us in several places. We don't have time to look at all of them. But um, Mark 4, the parable of the four soils. Do you remember that one? The parable goes out to sow his seed and he throws his seed everywhere and it falls on four different kinds of soil. And on the one soil, it's the path and the birds come and eat it and it doesn't have any effect. And then on the fourth kind of soil, it brings forth fruit and that's the one that receives it correctly. But there's two in between. There's two kinds of spiritual soil. It falls into the the rocky ground and it it falls into the thorny ground. And they both initially spring up and say, ah, this is marvelous. And then in one instance, the sun comes out, trouble, trial, persecution. The other instance, it's the, the distractions of, of stuff, of materialism, of concerns about things. And both of those seeds wither and die. What he's teaching you there is what do you see in John 6, guys? There's another place that I want you to see, and if you've still got a Bible, um, see if you can open it, see if you can find 1 John. I'd love for you to see this, because it's it's really interesting, at least I think it's interesting. I think you will too. 1 John, it's in the it's toward the back of your New Testaments. It's, um, well, if you can find the book of Revelation, go left, and, um, and it's over there. 1 John chapter 2. I want to read you two quick verses. 1 John chapter 2, verse um, 18. 1 John 2, verse 18. Children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists, there's an S there, have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, watch this. Verse 19. They went out from us. Who's the they? Well, the they is the Antichrists. They went out from us. Who's the us? (laughs) It's us. The point of origin, ladies and gentlemen, for the Antichrists is the church. Read it. They, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. They started with us. They were a part of us at one point, but they went out. Guys, the New Testament warned you that this is going to happen. It shouldn't, it shouldn't shake you, but I, I, I think it does. But Jesus told you this is going to happen. Gang, um, people are interested in, in Jesus Christ for all kinds of reasons. In John 6, they were interested in him because he was distributing bread. They would, they'll flock to him if they can receive a gift. But um, they remain essentially uninterested. In Acts chapter 16, co- they, they come to dialogue with Paul because of novelty. They're interested in novelty or hearing some new thing. People come because of fear. You know, we studied Pilgrim's Progress in our in our grace group. And there's a character in Pilgrim's Progress called Pliable. And Pliable was from the same hometown that Christian was from. Christian is the guy that's headed to heaven. And, and they both come from the same hometown. And the name of their hometown is the City of Destruction. And so they both leave because they fear, because of the, this is the City of Destruction. And they both head, they start heading towards the celestial city together. 
But very soon after the journey begins, they fall into the slough of despond, and Pliable says, that's enough for me, and back to the city of destruction he goes. But he he started, he started the journey because, because he was afraid. Fear had gotten hold of him. But these people, according to this text, ladies and gentlemen, they're called, notice in verse 66, they're called disciples. They once walked with Jesus. They weren't just hangers on. But they left. You know, guys, um, I, I hope you understand that the New Testament teaches that those who persevere to the end... Mark chapter 13, verse 13. Those who persevere to the end will be saved. You know, um, um, when the Civil War started, um, the North was convinced that it was going to be a very brief war. In fact, one senator said, I will wipe up the blood of this war with my handkerchief. Well, the first real battle occurred in a place called Bull Run. It's a little uh, subdivision, uh, not subdivision, but uh, suburb of D.C. In fact, if you go to D.C., you can see Bull Run shopping malls. And uh, But that was the site of the first battle of the Civil War, is at Bull Run. And the North thinking that, um, uh, that the war was going to be brief and they could put them to flight relatively early. The Battle of Bull Run was fought on a Sunday. And um, the the citizens of um, of D.C. thought that the edge of a battlefield would make a great place for a picnic, and so they came out in the, with their parasols and their buggies with a, with baskets of food to watch the battle. And um, when when it turned into a a rout with the Union army fleeing, the Union army could not flee. Because the roads were clogged with people in their carriages with their parasols. But but my point is that the army, I mean, the war was being fought with what they called the 90-day militia. Because when the people signed up in the beginning, they signed up for 90 days, thinking this thing could be over pretty fast, pretty fast. But ladies and gentlemen, soon after Bull Run, they realized this ain't going to be easy. And we're going to have to get into this thing and we're going to have to stay to the end. Because it's not going to be won by a 90-day soldier. And ladies and gentlemen, according to the New Testament, only those, not the 90-day soldier, but the one who perseveres to the end. That's the one. That's the one that will be saved. Now here's the third lesson, guys. It has to do with with this statement of loyal despair by Peter. Jesus asks, Peter answers, and he says, where else shall we go? And so Peter begins to think, all right, what are my options here? Where could I go? Well, I could, uh, I could return to law, and not, not law school, but I could return to a religion where you, where you seek to observe and keep the law, 
such that you feel good about yourself. And it's a, it's a, it's a religion of human accomplishment. I can, you know, the, obey the Ten Commandments stuff. I can do that. But you know, that law, <laughs> that law says some really hard things. I mean, my goodness. Um, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good when I was uh, trying to obey the law. When it came to when it said, "Thou shalt not steal," why I I, I didn't steal that I knew of. Um, but then it came down to that last one that said, "Thou shalt not covet." And then I realized that God was not only interested about things that go on, on the outside; He was interested about things that go on the inside. No, 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 I can't go there because that thing that's a, that's a futile attempt. Can't go back to law. Or maybe I could try, oh, um, let's see, maybe I could try ritual. Ritual, yeah, you know, where we light candles and there's dim lighting and, and we chant things. I can't do that because that's, that doesn't, I mean, it's kind of empty. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't help me cope with life. I know, I could try prodigality. You know, like the prodigal son. You know, go out and live for pleasure. Yeah. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But that's all... That that bunch... That bunch is full of addicts and junkies and brokenness. I could try... Um, I could try philosophy. You know, and pretend that I'm really smart... And I could say, God is dead. He really doesn't exist. That was just a, a figment. You could do that. But that leaves me with more questions than it does answers. Sadly, ladies and gentlemen, all four of those things are continuing to be tried today by some of you. There's somebody here who thinks that they can, they can be good enough to earn it. There's people who are thinking they're way too smart for this God. You know, the New Testament has a road, has a name for that. They call it the broad road. And, and, and Matthew 7 describes it as having, it's a broad road, it's, it's easy, and there's many that are on it. There's only one problem with it. It leads to destruction. And the only other option is what Matthew 7 calls the narrow road. It's narrow and uses the term hard. And it says there's only a few on it. That was the text that was preached the night both my wife and myself became Christians. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. The moment you get on it, and the moment you begin to taste that this is hard, then you're going to face a question. question is this. You want to go away too? You want to quit? You want to walk away 
You know, there are some of us in this room, ladies and gentlemen, that remember that life. We remember how empty it was. I think I've told you before that before I became a Christian, I was living. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to climb very high in Procter and Gamble. And I wanted to buy a boat. And that was life. Go back to that. Would you like to go back to that, ladies and gentlemen? Guys, I don't know where to tell you to go. But I can tell you this much. I don't want to go back to that. Guys, it is the magnetism of Jesus Christ and his truth that keeps us. It's the beauty contained in the the gospel of Jesus Christ that has overwhelmed us. Are hard things involved? You bet. And I hope that that comes as no surprise to you, that there are hard things involved. But let me remind you, it leads to life, everlasting life. And all of their paths lead to destruction. Gang, um, trying to be faithful to that text. This text requires of me that I put this question to you. Do you want to go back? Do you want to leave? If you can, do. If you can leave him, then do leave him. Because Jesus has no unwilling followers. But like Peter said, I don't know where to tell you to go. Because only Jesus has words of life. Our Father, indeed, uh, so many of us have discovered that. So many people in this room have discovered that what we had, which we called life, wasn't. And what we've got is. And we don't want to go back. We don't want that. And I pray, Lord, that you will remind us that what we have, what we're in possession of, is, is words of life that nobody else had, that nobody else could give us, that nobody else did give us. 
If we'd have found it in another place, God, we probably would have taken it. But we didn't find it. And what we found in Jesus Christ is new life. Altogether new life. And yet, Lord, there are people here this morning still thinking that there's life elsewhere. Maybe in pleasure-seeking, maybe in philosophy, maybe in ritual, maybe in law. And none of it will take them to life, oh God. Would you show them that? Would you show them that they're on a path right now that may be easy, but that it leads to destruction? Like you did my wife and myself 40 years ago. Do that again, Father. Keep doing it among us. Might women, men, boys and girls see again that the world offers nothing. Only Jesus Christ has words of life. Do that, Father, for your own glory. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.